You know, uh, it's, it's interesting. I've so enjoyed getting together uh, with, with these folks and hearing their story and walking with them through the filming process. And, and of course, you understand that in, in, uh, in many cases, um, it's really the conversation is anywhere from an hour to two and we're just getting about 10 minutes worth here. And so there is so much more, so much more depth to, uh, to these people and to their stories. And so um, I just encourage you to, to, to get with Ray and Karen or, or um, Anthony and, and Faith or, or Jan or Jeremy, people we've heard, and, and then just continue to connect with each other and really hear one another. It was also funny in that when I asked Ray and Karen if they would consider doing this, do I need to stay by the, no, I'm okay. When I asked them if they would consider doing this, um, they, they both were very nervous and they both said, you know, we have been wondering and hoping if you would have someone share from our perspective in life. We just didn't think it'd be us. <laughs> And, and yet, uh, it was such a wonderful, wonderful gift to me to be able to sit down with them for a couple of hours and uh, just enjoy them and all that God is doing in their lives. And I trust it's been a wonderful gift to you as well. Take your Bible, please, and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Four weeks ago, we began this brief series in consideration of, of God and God's work in our lives. Ephesians 2 chapter or Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 has been our guide and we have returned in a sense to the Christian basics because salvation itself is vital and its many implications are are truly life-changing. C.S. Lewis once said if Christianity only means one more bit of good advice, then Christianity is of no importance. In other words, if our Christian faith is merely another self-help smorgasbord by which we consume opinions on how to become better people, then it's really no different than human philosophy or empty religion. But Christianity is not really about becoming better people or merely enhancing your life. It is life itself. It is new and eternal life with God who is the source of life. Today, I want to bring this series to a close, although admittedly, we've just barely scratched the surface. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, when when taking his congregation through this passage, preached 13 sermons on these 10 verses. We have, we will preach just four. I'll just preach four. So we're painting with a very broad brush, obviously, having divided the text into four main themes We've already considered the wrath of God, the love of God, the grace of God, and today we turn to the closing verse in consideration of the work of God. 
This is the key verse of the entire passage. This is the main point that the Apostle Paul has been making all along. The passage began in verse 1, uh, stating that we once walked in trespasses and sins, but now ends in verse 10 by declaring that we're to walk in good works because of God's great work on our behalf. For our good works are the natural and expected outcome of God's great work in us. I'll say it again. Our good works are the natural and even expected outcome of God's great work in us. So let's read it together. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And then we'll just zero in on verse 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, we thank you for these divine moments. We are blessed and privileged to share this morning. And we thank you for the truth of your word. How it reveals the truth of, of who you are and who we are and the truth of what you've done in us and for us and even through us. Thank you for the many, many ways in which your mercy and grace, your love is manifest among us. And for these tremendous stories that we each have, these salvation stories, these stories of your sanctifying work in our lives. Would you impress your word upon us even now for your name's sake and for the well-being of your people. 
And we ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, this word for, that begins verse 10, is a summary word that encapsulates all that's been said in verses 1 through 9. In verses 1 through through 3, we learned what we were without God. We We were dead in sin. We were separated from God, alienated from the life of God. We were enslaved by the world, by the devil himself, by the devilish spirit of the age, and even by our own carnal passions. And thus we were justly condemned We were guilty before God and under God's just wrath. This is what we were. This is what we are without God. But the Christian message to the world, verses 4 through 7, is summarized in these two words, but God. We were were dead in sin, but God has made us alive together with Christ. God has resurrected us with Jesus, and God has seated us with Him in Jesus Christ. No longer are you a child of wrath, but are instead a beloved child of God. This is what we are by the mercy and grace of God, all of which demonstrates His great love for us. And therefore, as verses 8 and 9 assert, we have received this a great and precious gift from God, the gift of salvation. Salvation is a gift, not an earned wage. We must not boast in our works, but rather in God's work for us in Christ Jesus. Faith in God in the biblical sense is to believe in what He has done for you by receiving this most precious gift which is made available to you through Jesus Christ and His saving work on the cross. God has done a great thing for you. God is doing, present tense, God is doing great things with you. For we are His workmanship. God is at work. He is active. He's engaged in the affairs of this world, including your life and the affairs of your life. God is not passive. He is not distant. He is not disinterested. God has always been and continues to be uh, active, creating and recreating, redeeming for Himself a people who, though once lost and fallen in sin, are now found and secure in Christ. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and all that was in them. The earth was without form and void, as in darkness was over the face of the deep. When God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God made man and woman in his own image and breathed into them the breath of life. It was all God's doing. They were his workmanship and so are we. Paul uses the word created here. I'm so glad he did. The essence of creation is that 
someone formed something from nothing. Something was made from nothing and someone made it happen. God is that someone who creates something from nothing. We were consumed by death and darkness when God shined the light of Christ into our hearts, the light of creation, and he quickened us to life by his spirit. He breathed life into our lifeless souls He has redeemed us and is restoring in us the very image of God. He has called us to himself and and is conforming us into the likeness of Christ. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. This work of God in us is accomplished in and through Jesus Christ. If you know Christ as Savior and call upon Him as Lord, you have been reborn spiritually. The Bible teaches that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old, the old person the person that was dead in sin, the old is gone. Behold, the new has come. And is it amazing that God has created us to love what we used to hate and to hate what we used to love? Before knowing Christ, we used to hate the things of God, or at least we're, we're, we're indifferent to them. Similarly, the things we used to love, things contrary to Christ, are becoming displeasing to us, increasingly so. Think it over. Think about what you were before you came to know Christ. Think about the things you valued and what you now value. Has not God redirected your attention and changed your affections? He has given you new life, and from the inside out, He is teaching you to walk in newness of life. Whereas we once walked in sin, we now walk with the Savior, for we have been created in Christ Jesus. We're created in Christ and created with purpose. You see that? Some of you are craftsmen. You're artists. You love to design and build and create. You love taking a blank slate and turning it into something new. You love taking raw materials and making something wonderful. You love taking something discarded, something that's left for scrap, and repurposing it into something beautiful. As creator, in this example, uh, you are creating with a purpose in mind. You have a vision of what this thing is going to become. And you give purpose to your creation. You're investing yourself in your creation until your creation essentially becomes a reflection of you. That's the idea behind God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, created to reflect your creator, 
meaning that you are not the star of your own show. You're not created to live for yourself, but for God. In fact, living for yourself is, is, is a very myopic, very limited, and ultimately very unsatisfying existence because you were made for so much more. To live for yourself, for your plans, your pleasures only, is to, is to miss out on your great purpose in life. However, living for God truly is the most rewarding life imaginable. Amen. And many of us here today can testify to this. We know we're to live for God's glory, and we embrace this great reality. But this question remains, how do we do that? How do I glorify God? Do I need to sell all my possessions and give to the poor? Must I become a pastor or some other vocational minister? Am I supposed to pick up and move to some far off land and reach some unreached people group? Do I glorify God only at church? Is it mostly when I'm reading my Bible or praying or, or singing the great songs of the faith? No. These things may indeed be ways to glorify God, but thankfully, hear this, God has made living for His glory much more accessible to all of us at all points in our life. So again, how do I glorify God? And the answer given in this verse and in so many other places throughout Scripture is we glorify God by doing good works in His name. Jesus said, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And this light that's shining through us is from God himself. It is the glory of God. So that when people see you or hear you or interact with you, they are to experience in some way the very presence of God and, and even appreciate and enjoy the experience. And, and the way by which they come to appreciate and enjoy this experience is because they're seeing your good works. What are these good works? Are they feeding the hungry? Clothing the naked? Visiting the prisoner? Are they, are they giving money to the, to the church? Are serving the community? Are they caring for the elderly and, and comforting those who grieve? Yes, in part they are. But it's so much more, it's so much more than this. I love how Tim Challies defines it, how he defines good works. In his book, um, Doing More, Better, 
He writes, Good works are deeds done for the glory of God and the benefit of other people. Good works are those deeds that are done for the glory of God and the benefit of other people. Listen in as he elaborates. You are already very good at doing things that benefit you. We all are. From your infancy, you've become adept at expending effort toward your own comfort and survival. But when God saved you, he gave you a heart that longs to do good to others. Suddenly, you long to do good to other people, even at great cost to yourself. After all, that's exactly what Christ did on the cross. It is what Christ did, and he calls you to imitate him. Good works, then, are any and all of those deeds that you do for the benefit of others. So if you are a mother and you simply cuddle and comfort your crying child, you are doing a good work that glorifies God because you do it for the benefit of your child. If you are a student and you apply yourself to your studies, you are doing a good work that brings glory to God because what you learn can and will be used someday to benefit others. If you work in an office environment and do your job with consideration to your clients and co-workers, you are doing good works that bring glory to God because you are living outside yourself, doing what benefits the people in your life. And then he concludes with this statement. There is no task. Hear this. There is no task in life that cannot be done for God's glory and the good of other people. Now that helps us to understand verses like 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And isn't this what verse 10 is getting at? It's saying that God has saved you to himself to do good works by his grace for his glory. God has done a great work in you and for you, and he intends to work through you in bringing good to others. Although you have obvious shortcomings, we all do. Although your motives aren't always pure. Although sin still rears its head, you can please and honor God through good works because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Created in Christ, you are to follow and emulate Christ. You are created for good works in his name. Now we are saved not because of good works. We saw that last week. We're saved not because of works, but listen, we're saved for good works. And so let's not err on the side of legalism. Our good works don't earn God's favor. They can't improve upon what Christ has done. But please hear this. Let's not also err on the side of antinomianism. 
which basically means that because of what Christ has done, your works don't matter. They do matter. Because if we can bring glory to God, we should bring glory to God, right? They do matter. Because if we can do good for others, we should do good for others. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God himself has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that how it was at the beginning? I mean, the very beginning. God created human beings for good works. Which God himself prepared for them and entrusted to them. And we have this beautiful picture as Adam and Eve walked in those good works. We're told that God himself walked with them. It's an incredible picture of relationship with God as it was originally intended. They enjoyed God and God enjoyed them. The relationship was whole and holy. And God has likewise saved us to this relationship and he is sanctifying us in it. And so take heart the God who has prepared these good works for you will also give you the grace to walk in them and even walk with you through them. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. We are created in Christ. We are created with purpose. And we are created to walk with God. Now, I want to try to apply this. It's an application of verse 10, but really I think it's an application of verses 1 through 10. Here at East Parkway, we talk about upward, outward, and inward. And I want to try to apply this passage in each of these three ways. Upward concerns our relationship with God and is an obvious, and an obvious upward application here is to trust and obey God. Say that again. Upward concerns our relationship with God, and I think an obvious application here is to trust and obey God. We must trust Him. We must entrust ourselves to Him. We must do this in the ultimate sense, and that the gift itself, the gift of salvation, is itself received only as we entrust ourselves to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It begins here. This relationship of trust and obedience, it begins here. So if you are here this morning and have not entrusted yourself to Jesus, please hear this. If you are here this morning and have not entrusted yourself to Jesus, do it. 
as God is ministering to you, even right now, through His Word, as He is revealing this gift of salvation and the Savior Himself, grab hold of the Savior. Confess your need and desire for Jesus. Call upon Him as Lord of your life. And then begin to walk in these good works in such a way to emulate Christ. By the way, that's what it means to allow Him lordship over your life. Is you follow Him. You go His way. You do the things that are important to Him. If you will do this, if you will call upon Christ and come into your life and he comes into your life and you follow him as Lord of your life, you will be saved. And as those who are saved, we must continue entrusting ourselves to Christ. To walk in the good works that God has prepared for me means ceasing to walk down the path of my own choosing. It means letting go of my plans in order to grab hold of His instead. It means surrendering to what God is doing rather than striving in my own strength. Let me give you an example of this. When in Philippians chapter 4, and just make a note of it, maybe reflect on it sometime this week, when in Philippians 4, the Apostle Paul speaks of learning the secret of being content. You guys familiar with that passage? The secret of being content. I think the secret he learned was the joy of surrendering to God what ultimately belongs to God. The secret of contentment is surrender to Christ. It's an issue of control, really, a matter of who's in control of your life, not just your life generally, but, but the everydayness of your life, everyday life. Each and every day, we have a basic choice before us. It's so basic that most of us here don't even realize we're making it. But it's this matter of control. God, will I go your way today? Or will I go my own? That's the essential choice we're making every day and even throughout the day. Am I willing to have my plans interrupted? Or do I go frust grow frustrated because my plans aren't coming to fruition? Am I willing to put aside good works done for me in order to do good works for others. I think Paul, in that passage, I think what we see there is Paul surrendered his life, that's trust, so that whether he had much or little, he was truly content because he had God and because he knew that God had him. And when we trust God, we will also obey Him.
As a matter of fact, I would say that, that if you will not obey him, it's because you don't trust him. Obedience is a difficult word sometimes because we sometimes misunderstand the nature of it. We're sometimes motivated by guilt instead of grace. We obey God merely out of duty instead of delight. But biblical obedience is, is love-saturated. It is a, an act of love. If you love me, Jesus said in John 14, you will keep my commandments. And so trust and obey the Lord. Trust and obey the Lord. That's upward. If upward concerns our love for God, then, then uh, outward concerns our love for people. I called this series Trophies of Grace because God loves to celebrate His grace. God wants His grace to be seen and known, and trophies are meant to be displayed. That's why we have trophy cases. Trophy, trophies inspire us to greater things. It's inspiring, for example, to walk into the headquarters, maybe, of, of your favorite sports team and see their, tra- their championship trophies on display. Or to walk into the arena or the stadium and see great monuments and banners that tell of great things. Trophies call us to something more. And in the same way, trophies are meant to display the great things that God has achieved in our lives, victories that He has won. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago in verse 7. Look at it again. God has put us on display so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace, of His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. And I just have to ask you, is not the greatest of these works perhaps to tell others about what God has done. I want to read an excerpt from a letter I received from one of you recently. It's been so good to get some input from you. Uh, It seems that this brief series has resonated with many of you, and I want to read an excerpt from this letter for your encouragement. Dear Pastor Wayne, I wanted to write you this note of encouragement to tell you about something God did through your message on Sunday. That evening, we met our extended family for dinner, and God gave me a totally unexpected opportunity to share the gospel with my cousin. And as I was sharing with her, I was reminded of what you said about the fact that we aren't just sick without Christ, we're dead. I got to pull out my Bible and share that part of the passage with her. She listened really well to all of that. And although she didn't express repentance at that time, I think the Spirit really left a mark on her heart through the Word and through the Scriptures that were shared. Thank you for your faithful proclamation of the Gospel each week. But I want to thank her. I want to express my thanks for her. I want to express my thanks to her for her faithful proclamation of the Gospel. And I want to encourage you to likewise be faithful in proclaiming the gospel. 
So what if, what if, like faith promise giving, what if you committed to share the gospel, the story of God's victory in your life, what if you committed to sharing the gospel with at least one person each month? So faith promise giving, if you're not familiar with that, sometimes that comes up around missions conference. It's our annual missions conference. And we say something like, with God's help, I pledge to give X number of dollars this year in support of our missionaries and the missionary work here at East Parkway. So what if... Like faith promise giving, you said, with God's help, I pledge at some point this month to share my experience of God's saving grace with someone who needs God's saving grace. You've received new life from God. So what if you pledged to invite and bring at least one unchurched person to church this quarter so that they too can see and hear and experience the life of God among God's people? Or you can be really bold. See, I know this can be done. You can be really bold and bring 15 people like Jeremy has done the last couple of weeks. It can be done. Can you imagine the effect if we were intentional in sharing the story of God's victory in our lives? That's outward. Upward, outward, then inward. If upward pertains to our love for God and outward to our love for people, then inward pertains to our love for one another or the church. It's about making and being disciples. You see, there's an obvious we-ness to this passage. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. In the church, we have to move from me to we. It's not just about me. It's not just about you. It's about us together. It's about community. I remember what Ray said in, in his final charge, right? I'm, I'm 68 years old. I've been walking with the Lord for 63 years. And here's the one thing. After 63 years of walking with the Lord, here's the one thing I'd want to share with you. Church is important. Community's important. These people are important. God has a way of interweaving our lives, and it's important. There are no solos. There are no solo acts here. There's no lone rangers.
but he doesn't just say it's important. Then what does he do? You know, it's so important that I'm going to be intentional about reaching out. It's very hard for me. I'm a shy person, he says. But every week, we have some names listed in the church to pray for. I'm going to pray for each of those names each week. And then I'm going to be intentional to connect with at least one of those names each week. And that's really hard for me. I'm a shy person, but with God's help, I'm going to do that. Because church is important. These people are important. Our togetherness is important. Karen. By her own words, in her own words, a frustrated perfectionist. I can relate with that. She says, slow learner, and yet by God's grace, she is learning from her stumbles as well as her successes. And she's involved in our Wednesday morning, uh, women's study on Wednesday morning, and God, you know, she held up those three cards, and God, slowly but surely, is connecting the dots in her life in love. She's connect, God is connecting her with this person and this person and this person. And it's all a testimony of God's love for her and for his church. So what if, what if you started serving in a current church ministry? Maybe, maybe you're not presently serving in a ministry and you just sense that God is impressing upon you to get involved in something, what if you started serving in a current church ministry? And I understand seasons of life and I understand that time is, I really do, that time is precious and that energy is sometimes in short supply. But what if you just said in this way, God, with God's help, I'm going to do this. It doesn't even have to be a formal ministry, like Ray connecting with people in the prayer list. That's not a formal ministry. That's an informal thing. Or what if you, maybe God has, has stirred something within you, and instead of saying, I'm going to wait until someone else takes this ball and runs with it, what if you ran with it? What, what if you jump-started a new ministry? Or what if, as Andre said, what if, what if you participate in a life group? If for no other reason than to encourage one another in the discipleship process, making and being disciples together, sharing in the joy of Christian fellowship together, life on life. You see, we can do far more together than we could ever do alone. And the more we come together, and the more we serve together, and the more we do good works together, what's the outcome? The more we glorify God together. 
So we're to walk in good works because of God's great work in us. And we have this strong guarantee that he who began this great work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So may we live, hear this, may we live each day in deep awe and wonder at the immeasurable riches of God's grace and mercy, his incredible display of love for you. And out of this wonder, may we risk who we think we are and who who we believe others expect us to be to live instead in the fullness of who God has created us to be in Christ Jesus. Amen. God, we thank you for this time together. It's been a rich, rich morning already, and we know there's even more to look forward to. We're just very, very grateful. I pray that you would make us indeed upward in our affections, that you'd stir within us a a, a holy longing for, for trust and obedience and make us to be good work doers in your name, by your grace, for your glory, for the good of other people. Make us outward in this way. Make us brave and bold and and even in our fear and timidity, would you give us courage like, like Ray to reach out beyond what's comfortable to us and and to serve other people. And then would you help us to serve each other? Would you help us not only to make disciples, but to be disciples and to continue this process of making and being on and on, week by week? Will you continue to strengthen the bonds between us as you have so united us in your spirit and in the Lord Jesus Christ himself? So, Father, whether it's upward or outward or inward, we give all these things to you. To love the Lord, to reach people for the Lord, and to disciple one another in the Lord. For your glory and for the good of your church. Amen.